the John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that for us next. Big jab there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Oh! Down goes Duffy out cold. Frank Mir does it again. Rock'em Sock'em Robots here. Oh my goodness. I can't believe they're a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, is it great to be with you? Great to be with you. It's fight week again. I think it's going to be fight week essentially every week, save for a couple the rest of the way in 2020. It looks like maybe we'll be dark July 4th right now, but it's good to have you back with us. It's Monday, June 15th. The year is 2020. It's episode 254 of the Anakin Florian podcast. I got a tired crew today, folks. I mean, Ken Flo's lettuce is flying every which way. Heaven forbid what's going to happen here with Longo in 15 minutes. TJ's tired. He's not going to be on camera today. How you feeling, Flo? I'm feeling good, man. Uh, I am. Uh, I- I'm ready to open uh, as far as the Jiu-Jitsu Academies goes. Uh, wow. Meraki is going to open up on Wednesday, so I'm excited wow. about that. Just been kind of finalizing everything on that end. So that's probably why I look like dog shit. You nah. look great, by the way. It looks like uh, you're ready. You're ready to do some shows. You're, you look I, fit. Uh, the the clean shaven. The the head is shaved. Uh, got some sun this morning. Went and ran outside, and uh, we're ready to go. But Meraki BJJ is opening Wednesday. That's major news to me. That's yeah. got to be pretty exciting. Dare I ask, like, how many bodies can be in there at a time? Like, right. are you already? at the finish line when it comes to what the restrictions actually are going to be? So we're going to keep it super limited, actually. Um, we're, we're just going to have basically 10 people in there at a time. Right. Uh, just kind of just start things off to, and, and make sure we're going through all the protocols. So we're just going to have shorter time limit on classes, get people in there, and then get them out. No, no, no. We're, we're going to have other restrictions as right, far as where course. they can go. Basically, they got to come ready to ready to rock. They train. They get out. Next group comes in. And, um, you know, that will kind of be the new normal for, I guess, a couple of weeks until we can get things, uh, you know, back to the regular scheduled uh, classes. Well, that's very exciting. I know yeah. this has been a weight on your shoulders and those doors are going to open. You're goddamn right they will this Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. Don't bring your white belt tears now. Don't bring <laughs> your white belt tears. That's why you won't see me anywhere near Meraki BJJ. Uh, we got a lot to get to today. Uh, we will talk to Bilal Muhammad coming up uh, in about an hour. He fights Lyman Good as part of the main car for UFC Fight Night Blades versus Volkov this Saturday at the Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, we will quickly recap Cynthia Calvillo's big win and Marvin Vittori's win and all of that. And then also uh, some thoughts from Ken Flo on UFC 251 because so much news has broken since we were last on the air, and there are three championship fights coming up at Fight Island on July 11th. But uh, let us begin headlines with Cynthia Calvillo. Ken Flo moves up to the 125-pound division where many people feel like she should have resided for a long time. Uh, she wins by decision over Jessica I and uh, likely to take her number one ranking. Your thought on the main event over the weekend? Well, it was interesting. You know, I was a little nervous for, uh, for her in that fight uh, because I just looked so much bigger than her. Uh, just look to be the more powerful woman out there, but it just didn't matter. Um, you know, for I, she just really struggled with his, with her footwork, really wasn't able to get in the proper positioning, um, you know, to hit the target. Calvillo was moving much better, uh, landing strikes from the outside, and any time she committed to a takedown, she was essentially hitting it, and from there, she was largely dominant against I, who... Um, has continued to really struggle on the ground in the UFC. So I thought it was a great win for Calvillo. 
Um, I, I think she showed some improvement on her feet. She seemed to be the more composed uh, competitor out there. And, yeah. um, you know, I showed some toughness, but uh, skill-wise just wasn't on par with Calvillo. So I, I like her in that weight class. I think she might be a little bit small as she moves up and right. certainly as she faces people like Shevchenko, but uh, a solid performance, no doubt about it. I thought it was pretty dominant. Yeah, I would agree with all of that. I won't spend too much time on Jessica I, but in speaking, not on behalf of the fighters on this roster necessarily, but in speaking from a standpoint of talking to all of these athletes, most of these fighters, Kenny, just have absolutely no wiggle room, no respect, uh, no sensitivity to a weight miss. Now, generally speaking, I am more inclined to pardon a woman, right? And she did only miss by a quarter of a pound, even though Cynthia Calvillo greatly contests that. But a middleweight contract is a middleweight contract. You're signing a bout agreement that says you're going to make 186 pounds. So most athletes, Kenny, that I talk to would say you're violating the contract when you miss weight, even if it's by a quarter pound. And when you're the division's number one contender and you miss in a main event, I'm not surprised that Paul Felder and many others have levied criticism at the headlining athlete, Jessica I. Absolutely. I mean, you know how I feel about this. Uh, I'm a stickler on this. If you're a professional fighter, not making weight is like not showing up to work on a Monday. Mm. Um, it's unacceptable. Uh, this is what you sign up for. This is your job as a fighter. And uh, unfortunately for I, she wasn't able to get it done. And that's not a good sign, too, because, you know, she has struggled with her weight in the, in right. the past. And when you see these kind of consistencies, you start to wonder how bad she actually wants it. Well, Cynthia Calvillo wants it pretty badly, and there's no denying her hunger. She's dealt with a lot of things in her personal and professional life, you know, team alpha male and some of the friction there. And then she aligned with Justin Buckholes, who is building a gym in the Sacramento area. But since I didn't cover this fight, I don't know the extent to which he was or wasn't available to her. She is now at the American Kickboxing Academy and was able to produce a main event win. Uh, and I'm very happy for her because she's uh, she's a good kid and uh, I'm happy she's not cutting to straw weight anymore. I'm not in any great rush to see her fight Valentina Shevchenko. I think we have some similar problems in this flyweight division that we have with Amanda Nunes. Uh, but at the very least, Kenny, she's on the short list uh, after what she did this weekend. I'm, I'm just not sure that she's right now ready for Valentina Shevchenko and all she brings to the table. Um, I would agree with that. Um, I think Shevchenko has a certain skill level and experience level that is far superior to that of a lot of people in her division. Um, I, I think it would be wise for Calvillo to get a little bit more experience. Um, she's certainly at the top of the list, but it doesn't. It also doesn't necessarily mean she's ready for someone on the on the level of a Shevchenko. Right. All right, as far as the co-main event was concerned, much was made of Carl Robertson uh, after getting sick in Jacksonville in May, missing weight and missing by four and a half pounds. He comes in at 190 and a hook. So if Marvin Vittori was over-emotional, it certainly didn't show in the win. I mean, there was one compromising spot for Vittori there, but he gets it done by rear naked choke in round one. And uh, given everything Vittori's been through, Ken Flo flew to London for the March 21st show and wasn't able to compete, had fights going off the board left and right. I'm happy for the Italian dream, and I think he's got a high ceiling at 185 pounds. Yeah, I, I listen, I, I think that, uh, generally speaking, he's a pretty, a pretty emotional guy o overall. But right. um, all things considered, I, I thought this was one of those spots that I was uh, watching for to see if he completely would just lose control or, or make kind of poor decisions out there in the octagon. Um, I think any of the poor decisions that he made, I, I think, probably had more to do with maybe a lack of experience on the ground. Um, he had his moments. Um, early on to finish the fight, um, 
you know, struggled a little bit on the feet, but that's where Roberson is, is, is strongest, right? Uh, but once he got to the clinch, once he was able to solidify positions on the ground, it, it was a dominant performance for Vittori. Um, you know, he can now put that chapter behind him. Uh, and again, un- unfortunate for Carl, who really didn't make weight and, and seemed like it didn't, e- didn't even try. And obviously, these are different times right now during this yep. pandemic for a lot of these fighters. But again, if you're signing up for these paydays, you're signing up for this job, make the weight. Just make right. the weight. Well, right. And I'm sure if I sat down with Carl Robertson's camp, and I believe one of them reached out to me on social media and heard all their trials and tribulations, right? They did get pretty yeah. sick there. Team Robertson did in Jacksonville. And, and obviously this was a pretty quick turn. So I'm sure they have a case. I'm sure they have excuses that, that probably wouldn't fall on deaf ears. But happy that Vittori was the guy who made weight and ultimately won the fight. And uh, we'll see how those emotions affect him going forward, Kenny, because I do think there are a lot of guys, Marvin Vittori, Shane Burgos, uh, who we'll talk about later, they want this so badly that sometimes I feel like that hunger and that desire can work against them on fight night. But uh, they've both been pretty damn good, Vittori and uh, and Shane Burgos, obviously off to a 6-1 and one start in his UFC career. We'll get to Marab later with Longo uh, coming up in about five minutes here. But, Kenny, I want to get some thoughts quickly off the top on UFC 251, Usman versus Burns. And I'd imagine you share my disappointment that Jorge Masvidal is not competing for the undisputed welterweight title, given all the work he's put in in a near 20-year career and the fact that he seems to have earned a shot at that undisputed title. Happy for Gilbert Burns, Kamara's teammate, to get the opportunity. But uh, do you feel shortchanged at all that we're not seeing game bread on July 11th? Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people expected to see Masvidal in there. It seemed like he, he had his camp ready. He was bringing in a lot of high-level wrestlers to get ready for that fight against Usman. Um, and unfortunately, uh, it, it didn't pan out. I, I think that's the fight everyone uh, wanted to see. Uh, it seemed like the UFC tried to make it happen last minute. It didn't pan out. And now it's uh, in the hands of Gilbert Burns, a guy who has been extremely consistent. Uh, he's been on fire as of late, uh, showing uh, incredible improvement in his striking skills. Um, and I think he has an advantage heading into this that no one else has in the welterweight division. And that is clearly the fact that he has been training with Usman for years right, and they right. both know each other inside and out. And I'm curious to see how this fight pans out for a guy in Kamara Usman who does his best work when he gets people on their back. I'm curious if he's actually going to try to put Gilbert Burns on his back, right, knowing right. what he knows right. from training with him. So. A lot of questions there. I can't wait to talk about that fight as it moves forward. Still an awesome fight, so I'm not incredibly disappointed. We talked a lot two weeks ago, or at least mentioned the loyalty that a lot of these athletes have had to Henry Hooft, Michael Johnson, Kamar Usman, Gilbert Burns, Michael Chandler. I mean, seems like most guys, when they align with Henry, they stay with him as a striking coach. Is Henry even going to corner Kamaru against Gilbert? What are they going to do? I, you know, I don't know if this is... Uh, again, uh, hearing from a couple different sources that it's possible that Kamar Usman hasn't been training with Henry Hooft as much as of late. I don't know how much truth there is to it. Okay. Um, and I don't know if, you know, Hooft is going to pick sides, if he is going to, right. you know, corner one guy or if he's going to step aside. I, I don't know that. I, again, there's, for me, there's an interesting drama here in this fight. And it's always interesting anytime you get uh, teammates fighting each other. So, um, I can't wait for this fight. Very interesting. These guys are boys. I mean, your buddy, the photographer, Ryan Loco, said yeah. this seems super weird to him, yeah. spending all the time with those two guys. 
Kami Barzini, Greg Jones, or a couple other coaches that I think will have to make a decision. Vicente Luque, I believe, has been in the corner of Gilbert Burns. I feel like I saw Burns' corner Camaro at one point in time. I could be wrong, but I feel like these dudes are tight, and it's a crazy backdrop. And at least as far as the three title fights, this is the closest one on paper, according to Vegas. Kamar Usman minus 210 right now, and Gilbert Durinho Burns plus 175. And how about all the elite lightweights out there, Ken Flo? You know, a guy like Paul Felder for whom it is such a struggle to make 155 pounds. And you see a guy like Gilbert Burns get viciously knocked out by Dan Hooker 23 months ago. And now he's won six in a row, and he's the number one welterweight contender competing for the undisputed title. Now, I'm sure Felder looks at Usman as a guy who just presents a terribly difficult matchup. And I would say the same for Gilbert Burns. It's nothing easy about 11-0 in the UFC, Kamaru Usman. But, man, you could expedite a run at 170 pounds. Chiesa, Dos Anjos. Pettis, McGregor, on and on it goes. It's two things. First of all, yes, I think Paul Felder should go up to 170 pounds. I could, I, I could see him doing some serious damage in that division. Um, and it's also it further cements my idea. I've been saying this for a long time now. The lightweight division yeah. is the best and yeah. toughest division in the UFC. Period. When you look at the guys who have moved up to 170 pounds and who have really wreaked havoc in that division, yeah. Um, you know, I think it says a lot about the quality of competitors in the lightweight division. And we'll talk to Bilal Muhammad about this time permitting later in the show, because he's a guy that I think has been burned at times, not getting a number next to his name because you got guys like Pettis and McGregor, maybe Nate Diaz at times, Dos Anjos, Chiesa uh, and Gilbert Burns moving up from 55 and and doing quite well, obviously, when they have chosen to uh, try on the welterweight division for size. All right. Co-main event at UFC 251, Yaz Island. Alexander Volkanovsky, minus 220, Max Holloway, plus 180. Of course, Volko, not surprisingly, was the underdog for his title shot against Max Holloway, and he knew he was going to have to beat the guy twice. Any early thoughts from you on uh, this featherweight championship rematch? Uh, To me, the the one thing that really stands out is Max Holloway's footwork was really exposed in that fight. It was Volkanovsky, the shorter fighter who was getting it working his way in and out and really confusing Holloway with those leg kicks with his choice of combinations with his angles I thought it was one of the more brilliant performances uh in recent championship history uh Volkanovsky and his team have done a phenomenal job I now I'm curious to see how Holloway adjusts knowing what he knows now uh, I think it's going to be a closer fight and a more interesting fight and uh, I'm seeing I, I'm really curious to see what kind of adjustments Holloway is going to make here. Yeah, that's why you're the best. I do think it's going to be a more interesting fight to see what type of adjustments Max Holloway can make. You got Volkanovsky believing without a shadow of a doubt that he's going to get the finish this time. And he's got 25 minutes wow. with which to work. So uh, we shall see. And then, of course, we all feel for Aljamain Sterling, I guess, in terms of the calendar. Uh, but Jose Aldo is getting the championship opportunity against Piotr Jan. Dana has said for months now that Jan would be part of this Bantamweight championship equation. Piotr Jan, the minus 235 favorite. Jose Aldo, plus 195. The weight didn't seem to be too much of an issue for Jose Aldo. I thought he performed pretty valiantly against Marlon Marais. Uh, any thoughts on the Bantamweight title fight coming up here in a few weeks? That was the thing that really concerned me the most, John, heading into that fight against Marais. Um, and uh, certainly had an argument for w- for winning that fight. For me, the big thing for Aldo is he cannot let himself get overly emotional in this fight. Um, you know, I'm just surprised to see Aldo after all these years, after all this experience, and after that Conor McGregor fight of getting overly emotional. You still see that come out. Now, that has worked to his advantage in a lot of fights. I don't know if that's the right 
move here against someone like Piotr Jan, who has a tremendous amount of power and tends to drag people into these momentary um, uh, situations where they kind of his fights turn into brawls, and I think that favors Jan way more right. than it favors Aldo. Aldo's the more technical fighter. I'm really curious to see if he fights, uh, you know, composed, and if we ever see those leg kicks come back into the fold. Well, it's crazy, this fight card on paper. And I did something awesome for, for ESPN's YouTube channel last Friday with Dana White. And I asked him, was was this the intention to absolutely blow it out? And he said, it's really just the perfect storm and a byproduct of a lot of athletes, international or otherwise, being ready to compete. Three title fights. You got the Nama Yunus Andrade rematch on the main card. And then the pay-per-view opener, Amanda Hebas, a minus 650 favorite uh, against the plus 475 underdog, Paige Van Zandt. So that is UFC 251, Usman versus Burns. All right, support for today's episode of the Anakin Florian Podcast comes from Manscaped. Manscaped has the right tools to get the job done quickly, safely, and hygienically. And as many of you dads out there know, Father's Day is coming up this Sunday. And if you still need a gift for your hairy dad, you can make him proud and get him cleaned up as well with the Manscaped Perfect Package. So I've told you guys my father was born in the early 1950s, and I can't even imagine what it would have been like for him if there was a brand like Manscaped back in the 70s and 80s that was dedicated to men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped is the only men's brand doing this right now, and this Perfect Package I referenced 3.0 kit comes with the Essential Lawnmower 3.0, third generation now. You also have the Crop Reviver Refreshing Spray, Reduce Chafing Athletic Boxer Briefs, and several other things in there as well. Let's not pretend your dad has this stuff covered, guys. Help the guy out so he's using the best tools for the job. We also wanted to let you know Manscaped products are cruelty-free, paraben-free, dye-free, and vegan as well. And we've got a special offer for our listeners today. We want to get you started right and give you 20% off the whole kit and caboodle. Free shipping, 20% off today with the code AF at Manscaped.com. That is 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com and use code AF. Manscaped.com, code AF. It's dad bod season. Time to get smooth. All right. Once again, it was a big weekend for Team Sarah Longo. Without further delay, let's get to the Ray Longo Minute. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. So while the man Ray Longo has become a parade coordinator in New York, Team Sarah Longo just continues to get it done in Las Vegas. If you don't follow Ray Longo MMA on Instagram, you missed the parade and the line of cars for the Georgian Marab Dwalish Willie uh, in advance of his big win this weekend. And it warmed my heart, man. You know, I know we have a lot of fun with your segment, but seeing you guys and seeing everybody in their cars supporting these athletes from afar, I know Kenny and I were, were pretty touched by that, and, and Marab obviously was as well. Yeah, no, listen, man, I think uh, I'm relegated down to a cheerleader now, so I have to do my part. I said, yeah. all I'm missing, all I'm missing is the pom-poms in a skirt, <laughs> and I'll be right there, Kenny. That's the next thing that's coming, pom-poms in a skirt. Hey, well, yeah. you realize now, with, with uh, this good luck streak, you're going to have to do it every single fight now. Yeah, well, I tell you, I, you know, don't give away, don't give away any of the uh, drama that's coming down the pipe. But, uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think at this point, it's pretty easy to figure out. But no, I do feel like a parent. If one guy got it and another guy didn't, it would be a total disaster. So, you know, everybody, you know, we got to show the love, man. We got a lot of love over here. We got to spread it out. So and I see your more love, John and Kenny, more love. That's right. And I see you're showing love for the great city of Boston, Massachusetts, the uh -huh. hub of the universe with your hat today. Can you tilt, tilt your head down a little Come bit? On, there guys. you go. 
We like that. We like seeing New York guys wear Boston stuff because anyone who's listened to this show from episode one knows I used to give Ken Flo so much shit for wearing any clothing that said New York on it. So we appreciate that. <laughs> All right. So let's get into this. So Marab Dwalish Willie shows up. He was supposed to compete on the main card against Ray Borg and Ray Borg was unable to make the walk. Uh, so he gets relegated to the prelims at a catch weight of 145 pounds against the super tough Gustavo Lopez. I mean, what an effort by that guy staying in the fight in defeat. But bro, I mean, Marab, he's the king of the 10-8 round. Just reminds me a lot of Ricky Simone, just in terms of the overall striking and takedown output. Uh, it's just too much. It's almost too much to watch. I get tired watching him fight. Yeah, he might remind you of Ricky Simone, but I think Simone's 20 takedowns behind him. And yeah, he's got I'm more, sure. And he's got more fights. So uh, where does this guy end up in the takedown uh, category in another 10 fights? Crazy. Ken Flo, a lot of people feel like I'm pumping up Marab just because he's Longo's guy, which couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, what do your eyes tell you about Marab overall and, and his prospects at 135 pounds? Well, he's clearly doing the work. I, I mean, you could see that. This is a guy who uh, continues to improve, continues to look more comfortable in the octagon. And he's just letting everything fly. You know, you see certain guys in the gym and they look phenomenal. And they go out in the fight. And you know, you don't quite see everything that they usually show in training. You could see in Marab that this guy feels totally at home in the octagon. He's not afraid to lay it out on the line. And his conditioning and his pacing is going to be a lot. Even for all those guys at 135 pounds who like to move a lot. Uh, Marab just seems to be energy-wise uh, and conditioning-wise on another level. Ray, I feel like if you're a bantamweight ranked between 10 and 15, you got to avoid this guy like the plague, man. I mean, what were your thoughts on his performance and overall? What do you think he can do damage-wise in this division? Uh, well, look, I think uh, right now, look, here's what I say. Even and I'll say this even with Aljo. There's still room to grow, and that's what I love about it. They, they could still make improvements, and Marab definitely could. He's got a lot of things to tighten up, but I tell you, like Kenny said, his commitment is second to none, man. When he commits to a takedown, he commits to a freaking takedown. He's not afraid. He's already proven he'll die in the octagon with the Ricky Simone fight. So right, right. you're going to definitely have to kill this guy. You, you, you're either yeah. going to have to knock him out or he's going to keep coming. And he's right. got a pretty good chin because I see him in the, uh, in the gym. So he's a handful for anybody, but he's going to get better and better because there are things he could tighten up uh, especially like even on the ground, you know, even going for that. What was on more like a catch wrestling, right? Kenny with that neck crime. I used to do that like 20 years ago, just crank a guy's neck from the judo position. And he right. tried to get the arm, which could work, but it's not one of the more sophisticated, uh, jujitsu things. So I think that's yeah. where you see him when he gets a little more submission game savvy, uh, like an Aljo, if he could get to that level, would be unbelievable because he is going to get you down. And he's going to get you down, and then he's going to get you down again, and he's going to get you down again. So the more chances he has, you know, when he tightens up that aspect of his game, he's going to be definitely a totally different animal. Because, like, yeah. again, he's fearless. And I think when you see Aljo hit the floor, what really makes him good is he believes in his jiu-jitsu, man. And he's, he's like, again, it's, it's really belief and commitment. And, like, what Marab does with the takedowns Aljo's got, when he hits the floor, man, you just see a different animal. He's just... Very, very comfortable, and he's a, he's a problem. So uh, both guys, absolute great performances. And what I love is, again, there's room for improvement, and they're willing to put the time in and improve. So both guys are just going to keep getting better and better.
Kenny, it seemed to me like later in the fight, Marab lost his proclivity for striking. It didn't seem like he wanted to strike late in the fight, Ray. And obviously when you're getting takedowns at will and doing a lot with them, I can understand that. Um, did you guys notice that at all? Did it seem like he just felt like later in the fight, the takedown was too easy and he just went back to the well time and time again? Yeah, uh, listen, I, I think it was probably the easy, easier path to victory, right? I mean, he knew he, knew he was so dominant with the takedowns. Yeah. Why would he risk it on the feet? And uh, I, I don't know, Ray, what, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, I, I was going to say that's basically it. I mean, he, the guy's only chance was technically standing up, and he was a big striker. So, yeah. you know, look, he had a day. He got that fight on a day's notice. So right. why are you going to play games? Let's just get the victory yep. and move on. And he found what was successful for him and why change it unless he ran into problems. But he landed some pretty big strikes also. Yeah. You know, he committed to a couple of good right hands. And uh, But again, the, that guy's only chance was to get into a slugfest and maybe get Marab out of there. So on a day's notice, I think that was a great performance by both guys. You know, wow. That's not an easy task for that poor guy to come in and have to face him. And Marab thought he was facing Ray Borg, who that would have been a really right. good fight because Borg is really talented. Uh, and it, with that being said, I hope everything, all his personal problems are good because he seems like a cool dude. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so I think he did what he had to do. I mean, he's, he's there to fight and, you know, look, if you can't stop me from what I'm doing, I can right. impose my will on you, but why not do it? And he started to let go with some ground and pound a little bit. He had some really great shots, some great ground and pound. Yeah. So I think like, again, if you put it all, if you look at the big picture, a day's notice, he went out there to help Aljo. He takes a fight. It's pretty right. crazy. You know yeah. what I mean? He basically did the same thing the other guy did. And, uh, you know, while he was here, you know, we really used another guy a little more than we normally use Marab because of the height for this mm -hmm. sand taking fight. So it wasn't like he was, he's always in shape. So that's right. not a point. He was still right. running the hill. He had no fight. He was running the hills with everybody. Yeah, I mean, of course. That's who he is. You know what I mean? Like, again, those hills are brutal. I, I'm going to put out a video. So everybody gets done with the hills. This was probably last year. And everybody's done. Everybody's panting. He puts Suzaki on his back. And he ran up one more time and up and down with Suzaki on his back while, while everybody was gassed out. It's crazy. I mean, that's unbelievable. It's not, his, really, his work ethic is, is insane. I mean, yeah. sometimes he'll spar Aljo and he'll spar three rounds before he spars him. Yeah, you know, I believe right it. Before. Yeah, so he just like Aljo's like this motherfucker. Look at him. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, go, I think I think this is an insult. I'm not even sure <laughs> what I'm looking <laughs> at. He's just, you know, but he's that guy and he just loves it. He loves it. So when you love to do the things you love to do and you have a passion, it's not work, man. It is easy and that's definitely that always holds true. I know it's yep. a cliche, but that's what you're looking at again. A guy that's grateful for everything in life and just you could see, you know. Even by his interviews, how excited he was. He started naming people. He didn't want to forget one person. He just was yep. like, yep. even through he even threw Volante in there, which I was like, Volante, <laughs> where the hell did you pull that guy from? <laughs> yeah, what are you we giving John Volante? So he's just he's just a good dude, man. He, yeah. That's what you're seeing. You could see. He, he's you know? he's the heart and soul of the team. His nickname, 100%. the machine, couldn't possibly be more appropriate. Print the shirts, ABC, always bet on cardio. And uh, again, couldn't be happier for Marab Dwalish Willie. And I do believe he deserved those six or seven minutes we spent on him. Haters be damned. Uh, all right, so for Aljamain Sterling, right? 
And it looks like he's enjoying a few cocktails in Las Vegas and power to him because <laughs> the notion that he would go to Abu Dhabi in some backup situation and try to prepare for July 11th. I mean, at this point, he's got to hope that Aldo and Jan stays together and, and he'll fight the winner, right? You're not going to try to do a, an abbreviated championship training camp now that you've earned the title shot, are you? Uh, well, you bring up a good point. I mean, originally I told him stay ready if that's what he wanted to do because he really he had a training camp and it was a minute and a half. He's unmarked. Right. So, you know what I mean? You could enjoy yourself a little bit, but if you wanted to, if there was an opportunity to be seized and you felt like that was the timing, then I would do it. But like what you just said, put in, made me think a little bit. Yeah, he did earn that shot. And I definitely wouldn't do anything I wasn't prepared for or felt good with for sure, because he did earn it. And I go back to like, even the Ferguson thing. I think Ferguson earned that fight with Khabib. And I just really wish we would have saw that, but you got to be careful now. Now you're at the top. There's money involved. And like, again, yeah. when you earn it, I think you could be a little careful once you get there. Right. You know? So right. that's the way I'm looking at it. Yeah. Good. Uh, all right. Anything else before we let you go? I do have a couple names from a Rob's next opponent. I know you haven't given it much thought. You know, John Dodson is number 13 in the world. I think the Ricky Simone rematch ha has a lot of legs. But, you know, you saw Sugar Sean O'Malley has that number 15 next to his name. Um, I don't think that's a matchup that they are going to put together, but uh, I don't know. Maybe Dodson. What do you think about John Dodson? Uh, Dodson's a tough out for anybody, man. Yeah. He's awkward. Uh, I, I, I'd rather see the rematch with Simone. I think Marab I want to see love, that in the worst Marab way. Marab yeah. would love that. You know, he felt like you know, yeah. he got cheated out of that. Uh, he put his heart and soul into that fight. He was 100% winning that fight. Hats off to Simone. He caught him in the guillotine. But even what you see with Marab now, he's not as reckless as he was in that fight. Go back right. and look at that fight, Ken. Right, right. He's jumping over him. He's so excited. He's He lost 10 positions in that fight. He's not going to do that again. He already And he was still that. winning the fight. So and I he's think still winning the fight yeah. as a mad hatter. Exactly. But yeah. if you look, he doesn't do that anymore. So, well, like, again, what I love about Marab is he does tighten up his game every fight. So he's only going to yeah. get better. Even if he lost this weekend, it would be nothing to him he would just get right back in there make the corrections and move yeah. on and that's why he's going to be dangerous moving forward because some guys lose and they did they're, they're, they're destroyed he's not going to do that he's going to take it as a learning experience for real it's not just the same for him it, it does apply so i love that uh, is, is ricky is ricky ranked at this point he is not he's no. not but i think uh, yeah i mean that's the only drawback i guess but it's right. it's i think a rematch that needs to oh, happen I, I i'd love to see it, it. i yeah. need to see yeah. it i hope they don't give me any promos to read in the middle of that fight because <laughs> the output from those two guys is just absurd i mean you don't want to be a statistician for ricky simone or marab yeah. i can assure you i mean that that was a great fight the first time and like kenny just said like he was losing positions he was still winning the fight and he was out of control but uh, before we forget we got matt provola fighting this week i don't want to overlook yes. the steamroller we got right. one more to go we got Matt Frivola. He'll have Billy Q in his corner. He fights Frank the Crank Camacho. Uh, High-octane fight expected there at 155 pounds. Hey, last thing, though, before we yeah. let you go. I'd imagine you've given some thought to when you're going to hit the road again. I mean, I'm sitting here in South Florida. I've left a couple times. Our numbers now are all of a sudden starting to spike. My county is still in phase one. We're by no means out of the woods domestically. Um have you given any thought to when you might potentially fly to Vegas or uh, or corner somebody in the future? You know, I, I was putting August 1st as the date. You know, yeah. originally it was like July 
And then uh, I don't know, man, dude. It, I'm, I'm, it, I'm. It's a mind fuck to me. I'm not really sure. Like I've been doing a couple of privates now. I started again, and then I just got a text this morning from a male nurse saying, "Dude, I don't think that's good that you're holding pants." I mean, I'm getting tortured. Wow. I think because I think people. I'm right. not saying this. I'm not. I, I right. think people do give a shit about me. You know what I mean? Which is, you know, good. Which is a good thing. But it's. Every time I think I'm ready to go and move forward, it's like, man, I don't know. You got to be careful of this. You got to be careful. I'm not even sure anymore what I'm doing. I'm telling you, I'm confused. Right. I lightened up a little bit, which is not good either because I got to, you know, I was diligent at the beginning. But, you know, the more comfortable you get with stuff, you start to loosen up a bit. So I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm saying August 1st, but, yeah. you know, then somebody will say, is it worth the risk? <laughs> I go, well, what's of course. the risk? What's the risk? No, that you're dead. You know, so, right, right. I mean, I, that's the problem. Like, if I tell you right now, if I'm your age, I would have been, yeah. been at all those fights. There's right. no question in my mind, you know. Right. So, yeah. Well, uh, you look great. Uh, sun splashed. Yeah. I mean, not a gray hair on the head. I mean, the head, <laughs> I have to shave my <laughs> head every five days because it's all fucking white. And then I come and look at you guys, and I can't find a gray hair on either one of your heads. Can you see that? There's a couple in there. A couple in there. I, I, I cut them out. I heard I Brian Ortega. Brian Ortega is jealous of Ray Longo's locks. Really? No, that's <laughs> not true. That? That's <laughs> not true at all. But you know. <laughs> hey, TJ. No, you don't have to put that last caveat in. Just so, yeah. jealous of my you locks. Leave it in. All right. All right. <laughs> All right, Ray. Well, congrats on a big win. We wish all the best to uh, Matt the Steamroller of Frivola. Maybe his father, Sal the Bulldozer, will be in his corner. You never know. Um, I got to tell you, we got big things planned for Big Sal. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. Stay All tuned. Right. Join us. Right. Follow me on Instagram. We got big things for Big Sal coming up. All right. At Ray Longo MMA. <laughs> hey, you still doing that sidebar podcast, too? You still got your own podcast going or just this one for now? Oh, we're just doing this one, John. That's Atta a sto- that's Atta a story boy. for another time. I mean, I love myself some Steve Maraboli, but you know, you know where your bread is buttered. All right, Ray, we got to uh, we got to keep this thing moving. But great I'm to going see for you the as short always. Short money, buddy. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Uh, there he is. To Billy Buckner. Let's go. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, love is that bad? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Take it easy, guys. See you, man. You're gonna make me bring out. My oh, black and white Nomar Garcia Parra. Are you going to hey, bring out my black and white it. at Nomar? Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Look That's at this the guy right room, there. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah, it is my uh, bedroom. Have, what are you going to do? I'll have the know? Bambino hat on next week. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Good. All right. Get the fuck out of here. Good to see you, Ray. <laughs> ah, Ray Longo Minute every Thank week you. here on the Anakin Florian podcast. It is now time for the pronunciation of the week. I need more TJ DeSantis in my life. He is. Three over 500 on the year. We haven't done these all that often. Uh, This fighter hails from Poland. He competes on the prelim portion this Saturday in the middleweight division. He will take on Marc-Andre Barrio, TJ DeSantis, Invicta FC play-by-play voice, UFC Fight Pass, post-fight show host. It's it's called Extra Rounds. Extra Rounds, by the way. we got to brand it and everything. Yeah, Extra Uh, Rounds with TJ DeSantis after... uh, UFC fight nights and pay-per-views. Who am I talking about, TJ? Oh, it's so hard. Because uh, I've, I've heard this multiple ways, I think, which is part of the problem. Um, but I'm going to go with Oscar Pajota. All right, let's hear, let's hear Oscar. Oscar Pajota. Oscar Pajota. That's a win, no? 
Well, Kenny's going to say I didn't get it right. It's close. I, I would lean towards a yes. Oh, hey. Uh, it was close enough. What do you think, John? No, I, it's it's your, your call, man. I think most people are going to defend TJ. It's amazing how many DeSantis loyalists there are out there. My twin brother is like the, the team president. Uh, no, it was a no for me, Ken Flo. Uh, oh, I don't what? What? I don't think he said Pihota. Pihota. I'll have to check the record. I'll give him a win if you want. You want to hear it again? I want to hear you say it again. I don't need yeah, to hear you, Oscar. What did you say? You, uh, Oscar Pihota. Yeah, you said Pihota. It's Pihota. Um, but close oh, enough. Okay. Circle right. gets the square, right. you know? All right. All right. We'll give it to you, TJ, and it's good to hear you, and I'm glad that Extra Rounds is uh, off and running, doing great numbers, and uh, that's a win. So, TJ, I think now 5-1, and one, uh, if I'm not mistaken, for the pronunciation of the week. We will not oh. be making a pick today, by the way, on Barrio and Pihota, but we got six predictions for UFC Fight Night Blades versus Volkov. Let's get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. Annex. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Annick and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, time now for the main event challenge, of course, as we welcome in Ian Parker on social media at Ian Parker MMA. Standings update, so Team Anik, led by Ian Parker, led at 55-51, going into UFC Fight Night, I versus Calvillo. Good week for you guys. You both hit on Vittori and Calvillo, uh, but Ian had Calvillo by decision, so he gets an extra point for the round and the method of victory. It means a 5-3 to three week and a 60 to 54 lead uh, for Team Anik as we hit UFC Fight Night Blades versus Volkov. Things starting to widen a little bit, Ken Flo. We need some points here. I've been here before, guys. <laughs> I've been here before. Don't get too comfortable. Uh, I was so close to that submission in the uh, that was it the second or uh, second and third. I was like, here we go. I'm gonna pull it yeah. off. I'm gonna get that extra point that I needed, but it, it did pull through. But uh, hey, we we got a lot of fights left. Well, yeah, a lot these of are huge left. swings, Ian, as you know. If he gets Cynthia home by submission there in round two, it can be a four or even five-point swing. So That's what's up. Yeah, but what happened was <laughs> the decision and the swing went oh, this way. Yeah, so, that's right. So uh, <laughs> it's I know, I know Kenny likes to play from behind. Last year, I learned I learned from making mistakes. I got too cocky, and I, made, I took some risks. And this time, no fucking way. I'm not blowing this shit. And I'm going to blow this out of the water in the next couple of weeks. I've, I've had a few fifth round knockouts, dude. I'm just going to say. I'm just going <laughs> to That's right. Right. Yeah. Let's go. I, Let's go. I can't wait to uh, to see Ken Flo do a power hour and midway through have to click follow on that Ian Parker MMA on Why? Instagram. Why? God. <laughs> I don't want to keep uh, remember the name Bilal Muhammad waiting too long. So let's get to the picks, fellas. First fight for us featured prelim on ESPN. Bobby Green minus 230. Clay Guida plus 190. Got a former Ken Flo victim here in Clay Guida. Let me take you back. It was UFC 107, December 12th, 2009. Dateline, Memphis, Tennessee. Ken Flo gets it done by second round rear naked choke. He hurt Clay very badly on the feet and then mercifully choked him nearly unconscious. Guida draped in his own blood and forced to tap out. Did I get that right, Kenny? Was that about how it went down? Yeah, it was pretty bloody <laughs> fight, man. Pretty bloody fight. Uh, it was gnarly. Yeah, I got to take these opportunities, Ian, to <laughs> let people know, remind them, in case they forgot about Kenflo. That's all. All right, you ready to make a pick, Ian? Bobby <laughs> Green, Clay Guida, who do you like? 
The way the way you presented that, I thought you were laying that up for Kenny to come in and be like, I smashed him and I'm gonna take the other guy. But uh <laughs> listen, there's some there's some fans of the show that are like, you know, to 19 years old that Kenny, they, they get they get on the show, they're so excited, they're like, Oh, I saw Kenny once or twice here or yeah, there. Right. They fucking missed out on some legendary fights with you, my man. Uh yeah. however, I'm gonna go with Clay Guida here. All right. I think Bobby Green has been out for oh Kenny. So Here's what I like about this fight for Clay Guida. Uh, cardio machine, his hands have been looking better. Bobby keeps his hands down a lot and often. And he gets taken down decently. Guida sets up his shots really well. His stand-up, like I said, it has evolved. So it makes his entries a little more uh, surprising. And that cardio has been torture for Bobby. And Clay has tortured a lot of people. Not Kenny, but other people. So I'm going to go with the underdog with Clay the Carpenter Guida right here to start off this card. This betting line surprised me, Ken Flo. Uh, Guida, of course, had his fight with Diego Sanchez inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame last year. He and Bobby Green both just have a ton of fights. I think north of 80 pro MMA fights between them. For Bobby Green, 12th UFC appearance, Kenny. His last win, January 2018, against Eric Koch. His last finish came against James Krause in 2013. And, and Guida's got 10 UFC wins since you submitted him uh, that fateful night in Memphis, Tennessee. What do you think about Guida here against Bobby Green? Oh, man, I was disappointed to hear Ian go with uh, Clay because I, I actually think Clay's going to get it done as well. Um, you know, I, I think Bobby Green's got some power, um, but I, I think Clay Guida has fought a lot of guys like Bobby Green. I think that... Um, he's very unorthodox catching a rhythm, uh, for, for Clay Guida takes a long time to get a handle on what he's doing, how he's moving. Um, and by the time you figure that out, he's shooting in on your legs and putting you on your back. So, uh, he's a guy who, you know, he's going to come in, uh, come in shape. Yeah, he's going to mix things up. Um, and, and I see him getting a decision win here against green. All right, both guys like Guida at plus 190. We'll see how that number holds or moves during fight week. That brings us to the main card opener to be contested at a catch weight of 160 pounds. You got Roosevelt Roberts minus 240. Jim Miller plus 200. Miller will tie Donald Cerrone's record with his 35th UFC appearance. 35 fucking UFC fights. On the other side, Roberts trying to get his second win in a span of 22 days. Ian, what do you think about Roberts here against Jim Miller? Oh, man, I, either Jim Miller is just that much of a company man or he's a glutton for punishment. I think this is a really tough matchup for him. I think Roosevelt Roberts, and I'm going to use Kenny's line, is one of these guys that we see climbing up the ranks that knows who he is. You know, he just really knows who he is as a fighter. That last fight against Brock Weaver, what did you say? It was a couple of weeks ago, right? Yeah. He just showed so many different elements of this game, the striking, his reach. that re The way he used his distance was beautiful between the push kicks, the way he was using his hands, he didn't put himself in a danger in that submission game. And I know Kenny pointed out to his grappling game, so I give you a lot of credit on that call. He looked flawless. Even though Brock Weaver does not have the same experience or grappling as Jim Miller, Jim Miller's been around for a really long time. I think the height's going to be a big problem. I think the speed is going to be in Roberts' uh, favor. So I'm going to go with Roosevelt Roberts here. I'm such a Jim Miller fan. I hate to see him lose to an upcoming guy and be kind of a gatekeeper. But when you're in the game this long, it's kind of hard to avoid that. I like Roosevelt, the Predator Roberts here, a lot. All right, Roberts minus 240, Kenny. He's 4-1 and one in the UFC, 10-1 and one overall, and at 26, 10 years, Jim Miller's junior. What do you think about this one here at a catch weight of 160 pounds? You know, I, I think that Ian's right on uh, the speed factor. I, I do think that Roosevelt Roberts is going to be the faster guy out there, no question. I think that this fight may very well come down to 
um, whether Jim Miller can get the takedown or not. Um, I think he can. And if he does, and if he does it early, I think he can get the upset win. I'm going to take a risk here because I need some points. And I also think that it's an interesting underdog bet here. Um, I do think that Roosevelt uh, might be a little bit cleaner as far as a striker, but he doesn't have this huge advantage over Jim Miller as far as the overall technical side of things uh, on the striking side. I think Jim Miller's the better grappler. I'm going to take that risk. I I like Jim Miller here to get the win. And Miller had two wins in 2019 before a loss to Scott Holtzman in February of this year. So training smarter and uh, still believes he has a lot left entering UFC fight number 35. All right, Bilal Muhammad coming up in about 10 minutes. Then Saturday night, he will face Lyman Good. He is the minus 140 favorite. Lyman Good, the underdog at plus 120. Let's have Ken Flo lead here. Good one at welterweight. It was supposed to happen in April. It'll happen this weekend. Kenny, you going with Bilal or Lyman Good? Oh, man, this is a tough one. I I think that, you know, Bilal is one of those guys who is just so hard to put away. He's got some really good power. He's been mixing things up really well. Um, And I think a lot of people just kind of underestimate him. I I think for Lyman Good, um, I think he's probably faced, as of of late, maybe a little bit better competition. Um, You know, Lyman's a guy with a tremendous amount of experience. You know, if I have to pick right now, which I do, I'd be leaning towards Lyman good to get a decision win. But I could I could see uh, I could definitely see Bilal uh, winning that fight either by knockout or, or by decision. So. That's a tough one. I might switch it later on during the week, but okay. right now I guess I'm leaning towards Lyman. And Bilal is not on hold right now. He is 7-3 and three in the UFC, Ian, and he started 1-2. and two, So he's won six of his last seven, only loss in there to the ranked Jeff Neal. Lyman Good, obviously injuries have been a big part of the narrative. He did have COVID-19. He's alternated wins and losses in his five UFC fights, spanning as many years on the roster. What do you think your guy Bilal Muhammad taking on Lyman Good? Yeah, Kenny, I don't know if I would have picked against him when you have to interview him in like two minutes. That's uh, (laughs) I like your Ken Flo don't give a shit. Yeah, Yeah, well, if one of DC's guys are on here, we know Kenny's going there, so that's a lie, but it's okay. (laughs) Um, You know what? This is such awesome matchmaking here. Uh, Lyman Good's been around for a while back to the Bellator days. He's always been a guy with good takedown defense, tremendous power for this weight. You know, against Chance for Country, I'm probably pronounced that name wrong. I'll wait to get abused later in that. Maybe it was closer than I thought. I don't know, but um, he just showed uh, he just showed great composure. He didn't he didn't blow all of his muscle strength when he lit him up a couple times, which was an improvement in his uh, patience. You know when he when he rocks guys. But my guy Bilal is just a cardio freak, a takedown machine, and I think if he puts Lyman on his back, he could steal the first two rounds and force Lyman to have to come out and swing for the fences. And that's where I'm going to go with on this one. To put bias to the side. I just think Bilal's wrestling game may be too much, and I think he's smart enough to get away from the power of Lyman Good. And Bilal's a buddy of mine. I love him. He's, he's awesome. So I'm going to go Bilal in this fight as well. All right, a couple of dissenting opinions so far. We like that. Now to a featured bout for the women at 135 pounds, the former world title challenger Raquel Rocky Pennington, minus 135. Marion Renault is plus 115. So I spent some time with Pennington in the casino right after she lost to Holly Holm, Kenny, back in January, and and she was really frustrated after that fight. Here she takes on Renault, who has been out for a while, hasn't competed since March of 2019 when she lost to Yana Kunitskaya. Ian, Renault turns 43 on fight night. Absolutely incredible that she's still relevant at 135 pounds. 
Any value, Ian, on Renault as a slight dog against Rocky? What do you think about this one? This is such – well, first off, we, we know age is just a number because Kenny's like 53 and he looks younger than me. So <laughs> you know, a little tip of the hat there. But um, style-wise, this is a lot harder. I think people are going to realize Renault comes out very aggressive. She's also really good off her back. And I think – you know, and I think Rocky Pennington, as Kenny says, is a sweetheart of a person. I just – I haven't seen so much evolution in her game. There's not a lot of things that have been so surprising. I don't think she's going to have the strength advantage to push push people against the fence and bully them around. I do think there's value in the underdog here because I think if she ends up on top of Rocky, I think Marion uh, has the jujitsu advantage here on the, in the top game. I also think she throw, has some power behind her. So I'm going to roll the dice here. I know the difference in competition have fought is like leaps and bounds, but I feel like if any time... Marion's going to have an opportunity here to beat a name and put in a resume. This is it. So I'm going to go with the underdog here. Ken Flo, Pennington, Renault, any thoughts? Yeah, um, I, I do think that Renault, if she gets off um, early and gets into a rhythm, she's going to be tough to beat. Um, I do think Pennington has more power, though. Um, I think that if she's able to pressure a little bit more, get to the clinch, utilize those knees and elbows from the clinch, um, you know, I think she can definitely, uh, get it done, uh, by grinding out some rounds. This is a tough one. I agree with Ian that this is a, a tougher one to pick than, than you would think. Uh, but I, I need points. I'm going to go the other way. Uh, I, I'm going to go with Pennington here to get it done by decision. Oh, you guys make me so happy when you disagree. Not that I'm thinking about this necessarily when I'm calling fights, but I, I do like when you guys are on different sides. You know? That got well, much, he's, get much wider he's though. He's hating this right now because he's taking risks on people that he's not so comfy taking risks on right now. Do you see his face? Yeah. This is fucking <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. Let's get to the co-main event. And we're going to have Ken Flo lead this one in the featherweight division. Tough one to call. Shane Burgos minus 135. Josh Emmett plus 115. We will also need the round and the method of victory. So you may have seen, I know Ian saw it. I interviewed Shane Burgos last week as part of that fight card reveal with Dana and ESPN. And he said he doesn't want to win by decision. He understands if he's going to not just take Emmett's number eight, but really expedite a featherweight title run, given all the talent above him, he's got to put this guy away and move to seven and one in the UFC. Ken Flo, Burgos, Emmett, really tough one for me to call. I would not be betting this fight if I was contractually able to do so. What do you think, Burgos versus Emmett? Well, you, you love to hear a, a guy like Shane Burgos say that he wants to go out there and get the finish over someone like Emmett. Now, I think he can because of his range, his ability to get in and get out if he's able to be disciplined. Here's the problem that concerns me is when you look at Shane Burgos because he wants to get that finish, you see him get hit a lot. Emmett is one of the few guys that 145 pounds, you do not want him ha. to touch you. And if right. Emmett does get a hold on you, if he does uh, land one of those big shots, that just might be the last time you see his face. Um, right. He'll be right. in the right. canvas into the shadow realm. And uh, Emmett, yeah. uh, Emmett is an absolute beast. I think Emmett gets it done. I, I think he catches Burgos. Let's go with um, da 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 da. Let's go with second round. Second round to knockout. Second Mr. round Emmett. knockout for Josh Emmett, who is plus 115 for our purposes. So, Ian, you got number eight versus number 10 here. Burgos, I mentioned, six and one in the UFC. Three finishes, two fight of the night bonuses. Emmett's won four of five. The only loss in there, of course, came in his only UFC main event against Jeremy Stevens. That was February of 2018. Had a huge knockout of Mursad Bektich last July. He's 35 years old, though, Ian. So if he's going to make a run, it kind of... 
has to be. Now your thoughts on Emmett in a showcase spot against Burgos this weekend. I am surprised, but I'm so happy that the flow chose Emmett because I kind of – I kind of agree with him here. You know, here's the one thing about Burgos that I'm going to touch upon that Kenny left out was that he settles way too much on being taken down to his back because he's so confident in his ability to also get up and to strike from the ground. Here's the problem. Emmett also has a very strong wrestling base and it throws devastating bombs from the guard. You know, I, this isn't someone where he's fighting his last opponent, Burgos and Amir Marikani. I Again, I probably butchered that one, but... Amir Khani's not a strong guy, you know, good jujitsu guy, but on top doesn't throw power punches. And Burgos was the much bigger, stronger guy. Burgos is huge for this division, cuts an immense amount of weight, and it's shocking how unbelievable his cardio is. But you got a guy in Emmett who's also big for this weight, carries that power, and his cardio, if he's knocking guys out after being beat up by Michael Johnson for two rounds and uh, almost five right. minutes and still could throw that power, what does that say here? I, I also think there's value in Emmett. I think if Emmett gets out of his head a little bit, having to be the knockout artist and utilizes his wrestling just to steal the first round from Burgos. Cause you know, Burgos is going to throw a lot. The last two, I like Emmett here also at, at, what was it? Plus one fifteen. I really do. Shane Burgos likes to get taken is okay with getting taken down. And that's a problem against a wrestler with a lot of power in Emmett. So I'm going to go with Emmett as well. Not to just uh, tell Kenny here, although strategically it's a great idea, but I think it's a fun underdog in a really crazy fight. And how do you have him winning? Finish? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go. Oh, man, if these guys go. Oh, you know what? Actually, I'm going to go decision here. I'm going to say that these guys are such warriors and they're tough that no one goes out. So I'll go decision. But with All right. Emmett. Josh Emmett plus 115. Ian likes him by decision. All right. Main event, fellas, in the heavyweight division. Curtis Blades minus 350. Alexander Volkov plus 290. All right. So I did some research this morning and I can now tell you Curtis Blades has been the betting favorite for all 12 of his UFC fights. That includes the Francis Ngannou rematch. Just insane how much respect Curtis Blades has historically gotten from Las Vegas. On the other side, Volkov, 5-1 and one in the UFC. This guy was an underdog against Tim Johnson in his UFC debut back in the day. He's won 6 of 7 overall, as I mentioned, 5-1 and one in the UFC. Any value in on Volkov in that plus 290 range, or do you like Curtis Blades in what looks like a striker versus grappler tilt here? Uh, you know what? In regards to value here, I just don't see Volkov getting it done against a guy in Blades. I think Blades, the biggest part of his evolution has been the striking and his fight IQ. Obviously, Ngannou is his clear kryptonite, you know? But outside of that, he's not just a wrestler anymore. He's now developed this bag of tricks with his striking that makes him that much more dangerous of a wrestler. And in a fight against Volkov, where you know that if you put Volkov on his back, although he does have some submission skills, I just think Blades is the physically stronger guy here as well. Um, you know, it's it's just hard to see Volkov beating a guy in Blades. I think he's I just I just think he's the total package. I think if you can get past Francis, you have someone here who also has the potential to be a champ. I think Curtis Blades is gonna win this one by second round TKO. I think if he's smart, he'll bring this fight to the ground and finish it there by ground and pound. So I won't I won't rant on about this one because yeah. I don't see that there that much going on. But this but you know what? I will give Curtis a lot of credit. He didn't need to take this fight. He could have waited a little bit, but I think this is a smart, not as risky fight to take. But, you know, anything could happen in this sport. So, Ken Flo, I don't mean to simplify it when I say striker versus grappler. I know Volkov can grapple and, and Curtis Blade certainly would be the first to tell you that he can strike. But to me, it looks like there's a clear path for both guys in terms of where they want this fight. 
The Blades narrative's crazy, Flo. Only pro losses to Nganu in his pro debut and then the rematch a little bit more recently. That's a big issue for Blades. I think he's got to take fights because he knows Nganu is going to be next. And, uh, you know, there's no end in sight, at least in terms of a title shot. So I think Blades is smart. Take a main event. The question is, how does he do in it? Well, I, I do think it's interesting, um, that statistic that you brought up, that Blades has been the favorite in all of his, or 12 of his fights um, in the UFC. I, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that you look at the guys who have been champions in the division, they've all been grapplers. You look at Stipe, Daniel, um, and Cain Velasquez, and Fabricio Verdum. Th- those are the guys that have been um, you know, the, the champs in that division, there's just not a whole lot of good grapplers in the heavyweight division. Um, and I see that being a big disadvantage for Volkov. Can he grapple? Sure. Can he deal with blades? I don't think so. Um, I think that blades is going to have the ability also to really get respect with his striking, um, and open up the game enough where Volkov is going to give him that respect and allow blades to eventually, uh, hit those takedowns. Um, I could see Blades uh, winning early. He does have some surprising power. I'm going to go with another second-round uh, TKO uh, with Curtis Blades. I think he gets it done against Volkov. All right, both guys pretty convicted in backing Curtis Blades uh, this weekend. All right, Ian Parker, MMA on social media. Inspired effort out of you today, IP. Let's keep it going. Three straight winning weeks against Team Florian, and uh, maybe we'll even make him drink like heavy beer. See, this is the problem when I start to celebrate too early it comes back to bite us in the ass you know i mean no we're not we'll maybe do modelo beer beer i'll do just no like hard liquor like tequila or anything like that i'll be throwing up it'll be bad yeah yeah yeah. can you imagine this guy just chucking vomit on camera oh my god into that fucking tree behind him (laughs) (laughs) into the flow ficus i want to see that happen yeah look depending on how where we get to John and I will have to think. Is it like a Guinness type of situation? Because you'll be throwing up if it's oh, okay. No, we won't do that to you. We won't do we'll that. We'll do like you. Natty Ice or something like that. Yeah. Right. It's like drinking piss water. All right, Ian. Go start watching film on Poirier Hooker, and uh, we'll talk to you next Monday, buddy. Thank you, as always. You got it, guys. All right, that's it for the main event challenge. We will see if Ian Parker can keep it going this weekend. All right, now joining us, I believe, from the greater Milwaukee area in the state of Wisconsin. His fight week is underway. He's UFC welterweight contender Bilal Muhammad. I can't believe it has taken this long for us to get someone as entertaining and as talented a mixed martial artist on the air. My man Bilal, are you there? (laughs) What's up, man? Man, I've been waiting, man. We've been talking about Remember the Segment for years, man. Now you guys finally do it. (laughs) No, no, we're actually... We're trying to get you your own show on like the Anakin <laughs> Florian podcast YouTube channel. So that's probably a conversation for another day. We don't we don't want to just give you your own segment like we're, we want to build a show around you because of all your value. But it is good to have you on the show with us. So uh, how's the fight week going so far and, and when are you heading to Vegas? Uh, yeah, man, it's going good. Uh, basically just packing up right now, uh, leaving out tomorrow. It's funny, guys. I, the UFC like sent me tickets a while ago, and I didn't even know what it, I didn't like pay attention to them. But then they messaged me uh, Friday like, "Hey, do you care if we switch your 6 a.m. flight to a 1 p.m. flight?" And I was like, "I didn't even know my first flight was 6 a.m., but yeah, switch it." Oh, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't, "I'm not trying to go at 6 a.m. in the morning." Well, I couldn't right. wait. 
All right, so this Saturday night, you can see Bilal face Lyman Good on the main card for UFC Fight Night. You can see it live on ESPN, also on ESPN+. Plus. So this fight, of course, was supposed to happen in April, but your opponent, Lyman Good, got COVID-19. And I feel like I saw you were maybe br- briefly linked to some other matchups. What have the last few months been like for you overall? Oh, man, uh, during that April card, that was like the, the weirdest like two weeks ever. Because he pulled out, and then... They're like, all right, we're going to get your opponent. We're going to get your opponent. And then they were throwing out names to me, like Frank Macho, Rocco Martin. And then I'm saying yes to anybody. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't really care, just as long as I'm on the card. But then you're sitting there worrying about not having an opponent. Then you have to worry about, is the card even going to go through? And then every day people are right. asking you, like, hey, we don't see you on the card. We don't see you on the card. And then my manager's like, no, no, you're going to be on it for sure. You're going to be on it for sure. And then all of a sudden the whole card gets canceled. And it was a, kind of like a relief that the whole card got canceled because I was like, I don't want to sit there and while you're cutting weight and then the whole stress of, man, are they going to cancel the day of? Are they going to are they not going to have it the day of? And then the whole thing was just crazy, man. But uh, I'm glad we're back in a and and moving now. We're we're going. All these cars are going through now. So I'm like, all right, now we can start uh, getting back to normal work. But how, how do you see this fight? Um, you know, where do you see yourself having the advantages, and um, what do you need to do to get the win here? Um, I feel like I, I have the advantages everywhere. Honestly, um, people are always going to say that, oh, this guy has power and he's a great striker, and uh, you have to be careful there. But for me, I feel like I can compete with everybody everywhere. I feel like I strike with the best strikers or grapple with the best grapplers, and. For me, you, like you have to be willing to to do all those things to to get to the ranked opponents and get to the the top. And I feel like I'm getting to that level now. And with him, he's got a big name. He's coming off a big knockout. So uh, there's always different avenues to uh, to get the win. For me, I'm just gonna have to pressure him and break him. Uh, I know that he got a lot of muscle on him, so uh, that muscle needs a lot of oxygen. So I'm gonna sit there and push that uh, oxygen level to to the test. And I also wanted to get your thoughts on the the recent championship fight in your division that was announced between Gilbert Burns and Kamaru Usman. Um, what did you think about uh, the the way that that went down, and um, how do you see that fight going? Honestly, I feel like Gilbert deserves it more than anybody. Honestly, with the with the people he beat, he beat the number one guy in Woodley pretty dominantly, and he beat Maya, who was one of the most dangerous guys in the division, pretty dominantly, knocking him out. Uh, I mean, you could make a, a case for uh, Leon Edwards' uh, streak, but still, he hasn't really beat nobody really that great. He beat RDA last, but RDA lost four out of his last five, and then he beat Gunnar Nelson before that, and Gunnar hasn't been the same. So still, I feel like even though Gilbert's only been in the division for like two years, he's being a higher-level guy than, than right. uh, Leon and uh, George Mads, but I don't think – Mazadal just came off a dominant performance against Nate Diaz, but Nate Diaz ain't no really. Nate Diaz is uh, in the in the rankings because of his name. He's not in the rankings because of skill. Like he, uh, there's a, I feel like there's about five or six guys in the top ten that'll beat him pretty easily if they fought. But uh, for me, I think Gilbert deserves it, and uh, I feel like man, that's gonna be a crazy fight just uh, because they're both teammates and they both know each other pretty pretty well. So if uh, Usman's going to come out there and stru- uh, try to wrestle with him because he's obviously dealt with him on the ground during practice and stuff like that. So is he going to be afraid of the ground on game or is he going to know li- little tweaks and stuff that, that'll, that'll be able to hold him against the fence in different ways to make him tired and push him uh, to the limit? Because, I mean, Gilbert gassed a couple of times in the, the fights before that that were short notice, 
But against Woodley, he just he right. really didn't have to get pushed where you have to test his gas. Like he looked good for five rounds, but it was him doing all the pushing and him staying in charge. Uh, Usman's not going to give him that chance to stay in charge. Usman's usually the guy that sets the pace. So it's going to be interesting. But uh, for me right now, I feel like Gilbert got it just because uh, I feel like he's going to come out there swinging bombs and he's not afraid to get taken down. So I feel like he ends up catching him. Wow. So we've seen a lot of lightweights moving up to your division, right? Gilbert Burns, of course, Dos Anjos, Chiesa, Pettis, Conor McGregor, and Nate Diaz at times being ranked at 70. So, like, if I'm on Team Muhammad, and you know I'm on your team, Bilal, I mean, these guys are taking your rankings at times, maybe taking a high-profile fight that could have come your way. You've won six of seven. You've basically been perfect other than the Jeff Neal fight for three years. I mean, don't you feel like in some respects like you don't have a number next to your name because there have been this influx there's been this influx of 55ers moving up yeah exactly man uh, just guys with just names and they're really not fighting real 170 pounders like okay anthony is the only one legit one that beat a wonder boy right and after that you're 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 giving up cerrone who's been a 55er most of his time and he hasn't really beat any big 70 pounders and then mcgregor comes up there fights cerrone too and all of a sudden he gets ranged because of that but they're like just beating guys based off a of name. So it's really not doing nothing for me. So for me, I don't really care. Uh, like you're going to have to beat the best guys anyway to get that title shot. It's like I'm not in this game to be like, oh, I got ranked. Where I feel like most of these guys are now where, oh, I got a number next to my name. That was my goal to get a number next to my name. My, number, my goal is not to get a number next to my name. It's to get right. stuck there. Where these guys are getting a number next to their name. They're sitting out. Oh, I don't want to lose my number. So I don't want to lose my, my shot. Like Michael Chiesa sitting out, not fighting, uh, choosing not to fight. Oh, I don't want to fight Jeff Neal. I don't want to fight below me. But for you, for me, if you're if you're the best in the world, you really you really deserve that number. You're gonna fight anybody that's in front of you, and it, you have to get to the title shot. The only way to get to the title shot is building up fights, and I feel like that's what Gilbert's doing. Where I don't care who it is, when it is, I'm fighting. And all right, he fought two unranked guys, and then bam, he gets a big fight against Maya, and bam, he gets a fight against Woodley, and then bam, he's fighting for the title. So all it really takes is a little momentum, a little a little good streak, and a little luck would just. Uh, staying ready and being ready to willing to say yes, no matter what. And I feel like now with there being cards every week, I feel like there's going to be a lot more pullouts and a lot more guys that aren't able to, to, to train the right way. And they're going to be getting injured, cutting weight on short notice quick. And that's when I step in and steal their uh, right. ranking. That's right. 11th UFC appearance for Bilal Muhammad this weekend. He joins us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. So you've won six of seven, as I mentioned, after a one and two start in the UFC and I call you a contender whether there's a number next to your name or not, but how would you assess the, the body of UFC work that you've put on paper and on film thus far? Uh, I feel like I'm growing every fight. I feel like I've, I've fought some uh, big names in the division, uh, some really tough guys, uh, more so than a lot of these guys, even ranked guys that, that have fought. Like I've beaten Randy Brown, Tim Means, Jordan Main. These guys all have a, a, a huge track record of uh, being legit in the 170-pound weight class. And uh, for me, it's usually guys that I fight are usually winning after they, uh, I beat them. So uh, I like it that way when I know that my opponents are good and they're actually beating other guys. I don't like to beat a guy and then, oh, two fights later they're getting cut. I'd rather have it where I'm fighting tough guys and I beat them a certain way. I make it look easy. Then all of a sudden they're coming out back up on a three-fight winning streak. Like Randy Brown is looking like a, a monster uh, right. lately and uh, he's calling for big big fights too so I like the, the way it's going I like the route I'm going uh, I feel like after this uh, fight Saturday and the performance I'm going to put on I feel like they're going to be uh, 
giving me bigger fights. And uh, especially now, with uh, like you've seen with uh, Jessica I and Cynthia Calvillo, where you didn't expect that to be a main event. But right. uh, I feel like I could get to that level, too, where, all right, we need a main event for this card right here. I'm willing to step up. I, w- I would love to do a five-round or test myself in the five-round uh, range. Yeah. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense as, as a next pivot for you after this Lyman. Good fight. Um, I want to ask you about your dad's store. As anyone who follows you on social media knows, your dad's store was looted and destroyed during the uh, the recent protests. Any update on, on how your dad's doing and whether or not the store might be able to be uh, salvaged? Uh, the store is probably not going to be salvaged, but my dad's good. You know, he's, he's one of those super positive guys where uh, it's always like, ah, Everything happens for a reason. There was a reason behind it. Uh, and then uh, my dad's at the age now where we don't want him even working anyway. He's just that old school guy where he'll yeah. just get up and just go to work, n- not taking a day off for about three, the last, like, 10 years. So it's pretty funny seeing him actually being home, uh, not going to work early in the morning, coming home late. So, I mean, it, it, in, a, in a way, it's a good thing. Uh, but it's just one of those where, you know, he built it up from scratch uh, on his own, and that's what, one of the things. He wanted to pass it on to his kids not have it go out like this. But uh, like a thing, man, everything happens for a reason for us. Uh, there's going to be bigger things happening, and I feel like other doors are going to open based off of it. It just gives us uh, different outlooks and different ways of looking at make, making money and, uh, all right, now we can try this now, or we don't have to be stuck here anymore. We can move or do something here. Right. That's a positive outlook if I ever heard one. All right, a couple more things just quickly on the Lyman Good fight, and then we'll let you fly. The 25-foot octagon versus the 30-foot octagon. I know you've had teammates compete recently, Gerald Murchard in Las Vegas. I couldn't find a fight of yours in the UFC, maybe the Joban fight. Um, have you competed in the smaller octagon in the UFC or not? No, I, no, I, I haven't competed in that. But it's funny because we actually train in a smaller cage. So right, like I'm at training Rufus in a smaller Sport. cage at all times, no matter what. So I, I, I feel like I'm going to be used to it already. And uh, I'm going to get a good feel for it. And honestly, I feel like it's more of a positive thing for me because if I want to sit there and grapple or wrestle, I'm going to push him against the fence. It's going to be a lot smaller. Right. Yeah. Some people think it, it favors grapplers. Others are adamant it favors the striker. But, uh, yeah, I think for your style and for the matchup, it, it might be something that you can use to your benefit. All right. A couple rapid-fire questions on the way out here with the great Bilal Muhammad. you got three title fights at UFC 251. Usman Burns. Volkanovski, Holloway, and Piotr Jan against Jose Aldo. Of those six, who is the biggest lock in your mind to win on July 11th? Uh, to me, it's uh, Holloway. Uh, I feel like he's one of the, be- the best ever to, to ever do it, and I feel like he's going to come back after that last fight. Uh, he didn't lose by that much. A little tweaks here and there, and I feel like he's going to come back and win. All right, your next fight after Lyman, good. I'm going to throw out three names, and you tell me, if you had to pick one of these three, who are you fighting next? Neil Magny, Platinum Mike Perry, or Elizio Zaleski Dos Santos? Neil Magny, he's the one ranked. I knew that was coming. Yeah. Easy Dos Santos. I know you guys had a fight at one point uh, that went away. So I thought that'd be one that I would like to see. But I think the Magny fight, if you get by Lyman, makes a lot of sense. All right. And then last question, true or false? You already have your call out ready in the, in the event that you actually get past Lyman this weekend. True. Of course you do. Of course you do. All right. Well, we are hoping that the uh, Remember the Segment pre-fight show is going to be coming to Anakin Florian podcast on YouTube at some point in the not-too-distant future. But obviously, we've all enjoyed what you've been putting out there on social media. I know you're handicapping all of these fights. And uh, more importantly than all of that, 
I think you're one of the best welterweights in the world, and we're excited to watch you compete this weekend. I know it's been a trying two months, but Ramadan, of course, is in the rearview mirror, and uh, we wish you all the best with the uh, the fight this weekend, my man. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, man. Uh, if you guys want to cut that Ray Longo minute to like half a minute and then put another <laughs> half, <would be> <laughs> Bilal, good like luck, it. man. All right, thank you, bro. Appreciate it. All right, there he is, Bilal, remember the name, Muhammad. And it's hard, Ken Flo, in these divisions, 35, 45, 55, 70. Jeff Neal is the only man, right, who has beaten Bilal in the last three years. That was 18 months ago. Jeff Neal's trying to get a fight against somebody in that top five. And it's 18 months later, right? There just is not a lot lot of margin for error in these divisions. And when Bilal lost to Jeff Neal, it amounted to a two-year setback. I don't care what anybody says. Right. Uh, no, and that's the thing. Listen, as much as I, I'm a big proponent of the 155-pound division, the welterweight division is no joke either. It is absolutely stacked. Uh, and I think I might change my pick to Bilal Muhammad. Uh, he, he sounds like he's in good spirits. Yeah. Um, he obviously has a lot of great experience. I, I think he continues to improve. Um, and, yeah, I, I think uh, I think I just might change it to Bilal. But that? we'll talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk off air. And Ramadan, too, this year it was April 23rd to May 23rd. And I think a lot of athletes can't even wrap their head around what it would be like to engage in a training camp where you couldn't eat or drink from dawn to dusk. And this fight with Lyman Goo was supposed to happen April 18th and be done five days before Ramadan began. And, of course, the bulk of this training camp and this quarantine, Bilal has has spent – not eating or drinking from dawn to dusk. So uh, happy that that is behind him now, but excited to see him perform this weekend and excited for Wednesday for you. That's that's big news. MeraukeeBJJ.com, and uh, we'll see how it goes there. The masked men there at Meraki BJJ, yeah. and uh, get ready for your temperature screening and all that. We got to get out of here. Thank you to our guests, Bilal Muhammad, Ray Longo, Ian Parker, our producers, TJ DeSantis, and on the video side, the millionaire maker, Cody Merrow. So I'm going to Vegas for two weeks. So Ken Flo and I are going to be on the same coast next week. Thought about driving to L.A. for the episode next week, but I'm not (laughs) sure that's in the cards. But we will be back. We'll recap Blades Volkov and look ahead to Poirier Hooker and that UFC fight night coming up on June 27th to close out the month. With that, appreciate every last one of you out there listening, watching, subscribing. Tell your parents. Tell your friends. Anakin Florian Podcast. AnakinFlorianPodcast.com is live if you want the merchandise that Ken Flo is wearing right now with that. For The Flow, I'm John Anik. Until next Monday, enjoy the fights. Don't text and drive. Yo, later.